Hey, welcome back to the LTS podcast. Mal here on a walk again with Biscuit. So just wanted to see if I could do something justice here on the fly. And that is kind of explaining the relationship between uh, essentially uh, freedom and in order to achieve it, the requirement to have an honest money system and how that ties into how taxation is slavery. When you ask Mal, how, how is taxation slavery? Slavery is outlawed, but we do have taxes. So how, how can you put those two, t- two together? Well, I'll get to that. But this kind of is on the top of my mind because I recently, our last couple days, uh, finished my tax return for 2020. And this year, going to be writing a five-digit, well, I should say a substantial five-digit check to the goddamn government for their extortion fee. So I got to thinking, you know, maybe I should try to talk about and explain how taxation is theft. So let's let me see if I can do this justice on a quick basis. So what's the most precious and valuable resource we all have as humans? You might say, oh, it's air or it's water or earth, wind and fire. I don't know, but you get my you get my point. That's yeah, I mean, I get it. All those things are important. But actually, the most precious resource we have as humans is time. Time, every second that time passes is the second you can't get back. It's gone forever. So when you're on, the, on this planet, you want to do everything you can to maximize you know, the time you have here, right? Well, in order to live, or at least live comfortably, I, I reckon, uh, you need some level of resources. You need those resources to be able to pay for, you know, shelter, which is very important, nourishment, which is extremely important. And if you have a family, you need, a, you need those resources to be able to provide for them as well. Well, how do you get... This, these resources, which I'll call capital. How do you get this capital to be able to pay for that stuff? Well, typically, for the average person, that's working for someone as an employee. You make an agreement with your, this employer and say, look, I'll come work for you. I'll, I will give you, you know, I don't know, 40 hours of my time a week and do, you know, the certain uh, certain service for you 
and in return, you agree to give me a certain amount of uh, currency or compensation, let's just call it compensation, for the time that I rent myself to you, essentially. So the employer says, okay, I think you're worth, you know, this level of compensation. So let's do it. And you say, okay, we got to do it. So you're actually, remember, you, that precious resource, most precious resource is time. So you are giving someone else your most precious resource, but in return for compensation. Okay? Now, that's between you, a private agreement, a win-win private agreement between you and an employer. Sorry, coming up on a busy street here. Got to cross the street to get into another neighborhood where it's going to be a little more quiet. So, sit here, wait for some cars to go by. So, you love my play by play here. All right, biscuit, let's. Oh, get across here. <laughs> right here. So anyway, you come to a private win-win agreement between you and the employer. Everyone's happy, okay? Now, this is where it gets a little uh, sketchy and why you're actually a slave, not for the employer, mind you, because you can always leave the employer, but you're a, an efficient uh, milk cow, essentially slave, for the government. So what happens is you, be, just because you happen to be, say, born in a certain area or live in a certain area, the group of folks that call themselves government who have a, a uh, who claim to have a monopoly on the use of force within that certain area say you know what because you live here we're going to tell you or we're going to claim that we provide services protection services when it boils down to it right we provide protection services and I guess you could call it infrastructure services. And in return for that, even though you didn't necessarily agree to it, in return for that, you're going to pay us a certain percentage of what you earn by working for this employer. Okay? Now, what does that mean? Let's say you're 20%, you pay 20% of your you know, your wages and taxes, as an example. Well, the government takes 20% of that right off the top. Remember, you've given this employer your time, your most precious resource, okay, to earn 100% of those wages. Now, here's, here's where the thief comes in, the government thief comes in. When they say, you know what, we didn't do anything but to earn those wages, but we deserve 20% of them right off the top, or whatever your percentage is. You say, you might say, well, you know, that's the, 
that's the price you pay, right? Well, I'll probably talk about that in another another edition here. See if we really get what we pay for. I uh, spoiler, absolutely not. We're actually probably getting negative. But uh, again, that'll be a different conversation. So that government's taking twenty percent. As an as an example, as our example goes here. So what does that mean? That means, let's say you worked 100 hours, okay? 100 hours you can't get back. 100 hours of your most precious resource, your time. That government takes 20 of those hours and just right off the top takes that money from you. That means, that means that they've stolen, they've stolen 20 hours of your life. You don't benefit from the, that 20% that's taken from you. Not, not in the least. In fact, the, what they use the money for actively endangers you. I mean, look at this. I mean, the majority of government spending is done through printing money and borrowing money and spending it anyway. But let's just play this game. You're paying taxes. What do they do with it? Oh, they go and support invasions of other countries, occupations of other countries, all of the worthless regulations here, and government agencies. You're paying for the IRS. You know, I mean, just think about these things. Anyway, so they've taken. 20% or let's say in our example 20 hours of your life was stolen from you by the government okay let's go back to this uh, example alright let's go back to the, the, the claim that taxation is slavery well under the slavery that you're probably thinking of, where humans were owned and they're, they had to work, you know, all day, every, uh, Monday through whatever, Friday, Saturday, in the fields or whatever else, and they didn't get actually paid. However, they did get room and board and food. It was very expensive to maintain human capital they did have relative free time. So, I mean, they did get something out of it. So if you look at that, you gotta ask yourself, okay. If, morning. If I, you know, am working 100 hours, and 20% of that time, 20 of those hours, I'm working for someone else, meaning the government. And I don't get to see any benefit of that, that work. Does that make me a 20% slave? Well, I think I would argue that yes, they own you about 20%, right? Now here's where it gets 
even more nefarious. And this is where it comes into what I was saying at the very beginning here, the whole idea of uh, sound money being the most important part of freedom. What do I mean by sound money? Let's define terms here. It's really honest money. It's probably a better way to describe it. Moral, honest and moral money. And it means it's something that's used as money and currency that cannot be manipulated or depreciated through inflation, arbitrary inflation, by any one central authority, if you will. So what does that mean? Let's talk to the U.S. dollar for as an example right now. U.S. dollar is issued unilaterally by the U.S. government, more or less. It's the Federal Reserve note. In reality, the Federal Reserve, but for all intents and purposes, they're one and the same. And they can unilaterally create as much as they want. So what does that mean? Well, you work, as in this example, 100 hours a week to earn a certain amount of money. Okay? Let's say you're working 100 hours a week. You say, say you make $10 or $10, well, 100 hours. Okay, let's say you make, I don't know, 20 bucks an hour. Okay? So you're making two grand a week. As an example, working your tail off, spending your time, you know, probably doing something you don't want to be doing, but you're making that two grand a week. Right off the top, the government, through taxation, in our example, if they're taking 20%, bam, right off the top, 400 bucks is gone. So now you have 1,600 bucks left. That's what you actually live on, right? That's your true pay. Your net pay is your true pay. So let's get back to the the money thing. Well, the current system we have, the Federal Reserve, with a stroke of a keyboard, could create that $1,600 deposited in someone's account simply by someone pushing the enter key. It took zero labor, zero time, zero labor to create that money. How does that make you feel? knowing that some government banking bureaucrat can create the amount of money that you made by busting your tail a hundred hours in a week, if you could, let's just say for, for easy math purposes, a hundred hours in that week, you busted your tail for $1,600 and that bureaucrat just sitting in his lazy cubicle types in 1600 and hits enter and bam, all of a sudden, oh, magically, the ones and zeros are created and the, it's there. No effort involved. I think that to me really shows the moral bankruptcy of our current monetary system. That that can happen. So what would happen under a moral and ethical and uh, honest money system? Well. Under that scenario, that money cannot just be arbitrarily created like that. You know, it has to be earned. 
labor effort has to go into it, right? This is why, you know, typically when you look at the periodic table of elements, each element kind of has its own kind of purpose in, in the universe, in the cosmos. Uh, you know, oxygen is mixed with some other things, is there for us to breathe. Hydrogen's the most abundant element. So it's the base of, most, of uh, most things, namely water, which is important, obviously, because we're for us to live. Carbon, like the basis of our of our bodies. You know, we're all carbon-based life forms. You know, and on and on and on. It just so happens that humans found an element, a couple of elements, you know, thousands of years ago. They, stumped, they found these elements to be best suited to be money. Why? Because they're scarce. They're hard to find. If you find them, you have to put in a lot of work and effort to get them, so it naturally limits the supply. It's not like just pushing the enter key on a keyboard. I think most of you know where I'm going with this. Namely, gold and silver. Gold being its primary cosmic use is as money. You know, a lot of people, or you might hear a lot of this disinformation about, we can't do anything with it. You know, it's just a, a rock. It's not a rock, it's a metal, but it's, you know, it just sits there. Yeah, but people miss the point that its best, highest and best use is literally as money. <laughs> so, then you have silver, which, same thing, I would argue, but also in my, it, its use, and it's used for many uh, technological uh, processes, you know, electricity, uh, transmission, um, solar, like solar panels, things of this nature, and many other things. Uh, so what's interesting about these two is, again, they have kind of the Aristotle, Aristotelian uh, uh, definitions of money built in. So they're durable. You can't destroy them. I mean, you can. Do, you, it's very hard to destroy the, these elements. And they, they'll sit there, they're on the same, their half-life is like ridiculous. To where they don't change. <laughs> so they sit there unchanged for virtually ever. They're durable, so they're divisible. You can divide them into all the way down into grains of sand, basically. Convenient. They're very convenient. You just hold one and it, it carries a lot, of, uh, a lot of purchasing power in one little ounce. Consistent. They're all the same because it's, because it's literally an element. One grain of silver or gold is the same as any other. And has value in and of itself, so intrinsic value. So I just described that. You know, silver's intrinsic value is one part money, 
two parts uh, industrial use, electronical, electronic, uh, those type uses. Gold's intrinsic value is as money, literally. So they're durable, divisible, convenient, consistent, and uh, value in and of themselves. So, and they can't, basically the bottom line, the most important thing is the government can't come in and print or create more gold or silver on a computer. So there is a scarcity factor there that gives value. So people know that. So it's like when I give you an ounce of silver, I know the government's not going to be, I give you 1,600 ounces of silver to pay you for the work you did. I know there's not some government bureaucrat sitting behind a desk somewhere, you know, some fat guy with with his uh, Walmart tie shirt combination with the tie down with some Cheeto, Cheeto, uh, you know, uh, crumbs and stuff from his lunch at his cubicle de- or desk, sitting on him and he's typing in what, what kind of money to create. You know, I know he, when he hits enter, he's not creating, he cannot create 1,600 ounces of silver. He can create these Federal Reserve notes, you know, but he he cannot create silver. So, you have that scarcity there. That's been the case, and the you know, humans just naturally came together and decided, okay, these will be money. You know, I mean, something like they always say five, six thousand years ago. That's pretty cool. Now there are some things that, uh, let's see, I'm kind of varying off the track here a little bit. That's honest money. Talked about taxation being, being slavery. You know, I just, let me make another point here about taxation and slavery you don't have a choice to pay taxes you have to or you go to jail right it's a extortion racket they claim and protection racket they say you you have to pay us for to protect you essentially if you don't well we'll break your windows or essentially or we'll put you in jail that's the government is by the very definition of a protection and extortion racket. So, if you don't have a choice, you ha- you have to do it at gunpoint. Well, I mean, that's a pretty solid argument for taxation being slavery, right? Well, if you have that element plus a government that can create currency with the stroke of a keyboard at will. And that same currency that you busted your butt for to get, and they have they do it under with no effort whatsoever. Then I would argue that power grants them ultimate control over your life, because whatever whatever they do, it it totally affects the value of the time you spent working to earn that existing currency that they paid you, right? If they keep, 
expanding that supply of money and it depreciates the ability of the money you bust your butt for to earn on a daily basis you can buy less and less well I would argue that they're stealing from you they're stealing your time from you even more than the 20% it's the the hidden tax they own you they own the entire system they own you now that means you're not free right now if we had a moral and honest monetary system one where a government cannot completely control the supply of the of the currency one where if that was the case and they couldn't just arbitrarily print and borrow as much as they wanted where they had to if they're going to tax to pay for things they had to tax currency that couldn't be printed out of thin air well now we're talking a little different situation big lot different situation one in which okay you work hard let's say you earn a thousand sorry two thousand ounces of silver that government is going to have to come to you they remember they can't print the silver that's the money right they can't print it so in order for them to do things they have to come and actually tax you to do it so that would overnight immediately cut what governments the government could do through by taxing you and paying for things probably 95 percent right because the only way they'd be able to do anything is by taxing that actual specie you know the actual silver as an example so if that's the case where government can only do maybe 95 percent of the things it wants to well well think of all the things that it does now that limits your freedom that it can't do anymore you are now overnight 95 percent more free let that kind of set in settle in a little bit because they can't print the money that limits the government's ability to do whatever it wants so then it has to tax you in order to get the money to do it okay there's that aspect of it but the money you're also earning cannot be destroyed the vat purchasing power of it cannot be destroyed over time because the government cannot print it at will so it maintains its value there's a limited amount of supply so the government is not able to inflate the currency supply which then destroys your purchasing power so you stay significantly more wealthy <laughs> morning and the government stays significantly smaller this is a scenario that no government ever wants to have because none want a limit on their power so none will ever voluntarily you know, revert back to a uh, sound, honest, moral, ethical, monetary system unless they're forced to. Now that forcing 
can be done other by either by market forces, because eventually what happens is the government, by printing the money willy-nilly, prints too much of it. People kind of get wind of what's going on, and they say, "Screw that! We don't want to have. We don't want to hold on to this currency because it's not going to be worth anything tomorrow." So people begin getting rid of it. <laughs> that creates massive price increases. That, that printing of money is inflation, which create, leads to massive price increases. And that leads to kind of mass chaos. So an economics, economic sort of collapse. So a government would have to go back to something like that because if they didn't, then there would probably be some sort of rebellion on the hands of the of the government because people's savings and currency has been destroyed. Mass chaos. So it's either going to happen because of that scenario or what could happen is people could kind of get their wits about them ahead of time, realize what's happening and say, you know, what if we did this on our own and said enough is enough and started rejecting it before it actually collapsed. Setting up scenarios of uh, kind of new monetary systems. Before, you know, now before the mass chaos arrives. Now, I think that's what people, the ultimate goal, whether known or acknowledged of this whole crypto cryptocurrency uh, market and I think it's a noble one I think it's definitely one that should be encouraged I think though truly with most of these cryptos you know not really backed by anything I mean they're, they're just kind of ones and zeros in the ether, even though, yes, some of them are limited in, to creation, you know, ahead of time based on, like, the initial algorithm, that stuff. I, I just can't get my head around the value of those. However, I've thought about this a long time, and it seems to me that what will probably be the true next generation uh, solution to this whole problem will be some sort of crypto. However, one that is backed by gold and silver, physical gold and silver. Because that way, you don't necessarily need uh, like an algorithmic limit, I don't think, to the number of the tokens that are created. The limit will be based upon the ratio to the amount of gold and silver that are in in the custody of the cryptocurrency creator. So basically, here, here's what I mean, as an, as an example. Let's say we created, uh, I don't know, text, 
textbooks. And we said, we're going to create a cryptocurrency where we, in Texas, we have a vault. And in this vault, there is gold and silver. And we're going to create a cryptocurrency based on uh, a ratio, let's say, of, you know, one ounce of silver equates to one uh, textbook, as an example. Whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. And, of course, that textbook could be divided based on, it may not be an ounce, you know, whatever whatever it is, but then it could be divided down as far down as an ounce of silver could be divided. And then what we might have is what we call, I don't know, maybe they'll say the one ounce of gold is, is a Tex, a Texan. We'll just call it a Texan. You got any Texans? And we'll say one ounce of silver is, I don't know, we'll call the ranger or cowboy. I don't know, what's a good, we we'll call it an Alamo, okay? <laughs> so one ounce of silver is an Alamo. And one ounce of gold is a Texan. Okay. And those can be divided into point, you know, whatevers of each unit. Large ticket, large ticket purchases, like cars or homes and stuff, would probably be done with uh, Texans. Everyday purchases would be done with whole or fractions of Alamos, as an example, which is the silver, if you recall. And all this would be done cryptically, or whatever, electronically. And you would know, always, this vault would be audited on a quarterly basis, because ideally, you know, more and more would be deposited in there, or would be purchased to be placed in there. Now, there are some that are trying to come up with the, these ideas of uh, the sa similar ideas, but th they also allow redemptions. So if you have a certain number of tokens, if you will, then uh, you can bring out uh, you can bring out or take out you know, your actual physical metal. My idea, I think, kind of would sit on you wouldn't be able to take it out. You would, however, be able to send, you know, fiat dollars, U.S. dollars, to us, which would be then kind of pooled to buy more metal. So if you send it in and say, I want Texans, then your money would be pooled together to buy more gold bars. If you want silver, your money would be pooled to buy more silver bars. Or if you want Almos, 
your silver would be pulled to buy more silver bars to back up the Alamos. But once that fiat's there, you cannot pull your money. You cannot pull your metal out. Okay? It's there. It's there. So then you get the crypto. And that crypto, the amount of uh, tokens grows as the money is deposited into the depository. So then you have basically 100% backed uh, monetary system that can be via the crypto, via the token, uh, divisible down to, you know, whatever, however far you want to divide it. You know, typically, probably the way we think of things now, you know, in, in dollars. So the smallest denomination is, say, a penny. So right now, if a one ounce of silver is $25, let's say, then you'd, one Alamo would be the equivalent to $25. So then you divide that one Alamo up down to, what, 125, you know, 2,500 pennies, basically. So it'll be kind of automatically done for you, you know. So people could price their goods directly in Alamos or Texans or they could do it in dollars and literally you know real-time conversion can happen you know through apps basically where you're the key one of the key things I forgot to mention here that this I think structure would solve is the whole IRS rule that Trading, quote-unquote trading, exchanging cryptos is a, you know, a, a capital event, basically. So you have to pay capital gains taxes on your holdings there. Where this idea is you, because you cannot, I think we kind of avoid that a little bit by saying once the money's in, you can't pull out your metal, but that's okay because guaranteed to be 100% backed and like pulled metal basically with no one being able to take any out once it's in it's there but also with the fact that you're just exchanging the actual token with with people not for US dollars right so that would be the intent of this token now if you did that's your, that's your prerogative. You gave someone a token for U.S. dollars, that's your prerogative. Uh, we, this system would not, if you sent your dollars in and we used it to buy currency, you could not sell back your currency for dollars. You'd have to find someone else on the open market to do that. So we wouldn't mess with that part. But... If you're exchanging tokens with people, I think it might be able to get around that. Maybe not. I don't know. I guess if you spend it, you're triggering some sort of taxable event. But because it's a crypto, I guess in the end it boils down to 
you quote unquote volunteering that information and your voluntary paying of taxes to the federal government. You know, everyone have to make their own decision there. But yeah. So, you know, the token would be issued to you, so then there, of course, would be some sort of record. See, where are we? Which would be auditable by whatever government agency wanted to do that. But in the end, what I'm describing here is a legitimate, honest, I think, monetary system that monetizes honest money, gold and silver, and makes it an extremely convenient way to spend them or use them and save them. Because that's what people complain about. How do you, what do you, you carry around a brick, you know, or whatever? No. But the whole idea of having it, you know, in a relatively convenient or close, well audited, uh, transparent, uh, vault within your own state, i.e. here in Texas, I think we give people comfort. Now, I don't see any reason why with proper security, you know, you couldn't have uh, tours, let people come and see, you know, you have that monthly, probably, I mean, I don't see why it would be big a deal to do some sort of monthly kind of audit of it, uh, cameras on it at all times, I'm sure there's a lot of gaps in this scenario that I'm not thinking of, but here's the thing, there's, there will be no, I don't believe there will be ever one of these things, cryptos, that will be tr truly anonymous. You know, come on. So, what's the best way to go about it? You know, I don't believe like Bitcoin, you know, this kind of enforced limitation of arbitrary 21 million Bitcoin thing, you're carrying all this, you know, electricity to mine these things by solving random math problems just doesn't make sense to me. We already have the solution right in front of our face. And I, hell, I'd argue that gold and silver are the ultimate, well, they're the original, but they're the ultimate cryptocurrency. Because think about it. Say you have five ounces of silver, depending on how you got it, in the end, no one knows you have it. <laughs> you know, that's ultimate an anonymity. And if you give it to someone for something, they didn't go through any kind of electronic network or anything like that. I'd say that's pretty, uh, pretty crypto, you know. So you got to marry those two things. I think you marry that to the whole convenience of an electronic token, 
one that yes can grow in supply but that's okay because ideally over time the supply of metals in the depository will be growing so it's if it's on a one to one 100 back basis that's not really that's not a problem the problem comes when there's fractions and that fraction diminishes over time you know you print too much so now you're backed by 80 percent then now you print more and you're backed by 50 percent you know that's you print more you're backed by 20 percent 20 percent backing that's that's the inflation that's the immoral unethical situation that governments find themselves in u.s government now zero percent backing so they just print whatever they want nothing to constrain the supply whereas in this scenario you have you know, one ounce of gold is equivalent to one Texan. One ounce of silver is equivalent to one Alamo. And then you divide those digits accordingly. Very interesting kind of thinking here. And you do it all, you just have it all on your phone. And you know that's ultimate wealth preservation right there. Right? What was the something else I was going to mention about that. Oh, yeah. You know, and over time, probably what would happen once it's in place and as the government currencies start collapsing, people will want, will value these tokens even more. You know, so the premium on a particular Texan or Alamo will be will rise you know, to where the value of them will actually be more than the actual backing of the metal. So essentially it would mimic the effect of a deflation where your money increases in value. Right? I don't think anyone would argue with that scenario where your money becomes more valuable as you save it longer. As opposed to now, if you save cash, you know, put it in a bank account or in a bond or something, over time you know it's going to lose value. You know. Because of the... Hello. Hello. <laughs> because the, you know, amount that they're creating far surpasses the amount of, you know, economic output. So it's diminishing the value of what's in your savings. And, obviously, you can't uh, earn any interest to make up for that diminishing value. Why? Because that same government that's creating these currency units is using them to continually buy up its own bonds. And when that happens, it drives up the price of the bond because of their demand thereby keeping the rate of interest on them significantly lower. Again, an effect of the massive inflation, inflationary storm of money coming in, destroying your savings. So I'm going to revisit this whole idea again, you know, in another, in another edition. But uh, food for thought, you know, I'm writing, I'm going to write up this whole, whole thing and It'd be very interesting 
see how much money it would take to raise to get this thing off the ground. The other aspect of it is, you know, in order to trade this thing, I'm sure it would be totally banned from all these app stores and everything, you know, because it is a direct threat to the fiat currency system. So we'd have to figure out a way to kind of go do backdoor type thing into people's phones to allow them to do it. You know, because they won't be able to download it via the app store. So we have to figure out that. I'm sure some hackers have figured out that long time ago. But there's that. I mean, there's a lot of technical technological challenges, you know, and uh, objections to overcome. But I think it's worth maybe pursuing. You know, we get this thing up and running, it could be the greatest springboard to help people realize that how screwed they are right now. How screwed they're being, how much they're being screwed up the ass by their federal government. To, you know, maybe help people wake up. You know? Wake up and figure out that yes, it is time to either personally, at the very least, uh, separate peacefully or well, you know politically get together and say enough is enough we need to let's get out of here go our own way peacefully have a peaceful and amicable friendly separation because the situation is not tenable anymore this government is claiming its ownership of me I'm a slave and they do everything they can to destroy any of the money that I save on top of that. And I'm fucking tired of it. You know, that's where we are. So I hope this was interesting. I uh, really appreciate you listening. Uh, come back for some more. Forward it to other people. If you think they may be a, amenable to it, open to these ideas. And, uh, yeah, I think I'll catch you on the next one. Where, maybe not the next one, but, you know, going forward explore these ideas a lot more and in more depth uh, flesh them out and see what's possible because it's time to leave the swamp all right folks y'all have a good one